Welcome to Happy Times and Places, in which a tedious man tries to negate his boring nature through the medium of positivity. That's by looking at episodes of Doctor Who chosen by a friend. The friend has chosen their favourite things about the episodes, and I have to commentate along and guess what those favourite things are. Hello there. I'm Siobhan Galichon, and I've chosen The Three Doctors. Right. That's the short intro out of the way for the other episodes. Um, <clears throat> don't worry if you haven't heard about me. I, I, I haven't either. Um, I've been a fan... Well, I've been aware of Doctor Who all my life, but I've been a fan for all of my adult life. First Memories Day of the Daleks. Um, I've been a long, long time in fandom. Um, scarily long, actually. <laughs> and I can tell you some stories. Uh, and sorry, you're prob- if you're watching this on YouTube, um, you're probably seeing cats. It happens. Um, okay. Um, I've been podcasting for donkeys years. Uh, I've done slightly less interviews than, than Toby. Um, I started off with Staggering Stories, then did, had two stints on the DW Who cast. And, of course, my own show, The Flashing Blade. More about that a little bit later on. Um, and I also, I'm told, I do a really hot Bill Hartnell. But uh, I'll leave that to other people to decide. So, um, let's get on with it then, shall we? Hello, everybody. I am recording this in the run-up to Doctor Who's 59th birthday. Now, patrons will get it probably just after, and those of you who are in the uh, less chronologically planned great outdoors of Podcastville, uh, you get you probably get this in, in, the, in the middle of the year. But seeing this is the 10th anniversary story that we're watching that was actually broadcast at the end of the ninth year of the show and really only snuck into the 10th year, um, you know, just it's close, much closer to the ninth anniversary than it is to the tenth. I'm kind of easy with this going out whenever it does. I don't know at the moment because patrons are about six months ahead. I don't say that to advertise uh, the the Patreon, although I'm told I sh- should do it more at the top of the show. But anyway, listen, that's not why I mention that. There, I I I just mention it because I am feeling the need to do something because I've not really done this year on the 59th year. Um, a release that marks two years of these podcasts and uh, two years, uh, uh, sorry, uh, 59 years uh, of, of Doctor Who. So the fact that this is going out probably the week after the 59th anniversary uh, for Patreon people is is, is kind of suitably um, just, just missing the, the anniversary, but kind of, it's in the air. I'll record it just before. It'll go out just after. Uh, the tenth anniversary story. I'm sure Stephen Moffat wrote a, uh, an editorial for Doctor Who magazine where he kind of pointed out it wasn't really the tenth anniversary story, but of course it's such a brilliant idea, and I'm thrilled. You know, now one could say it's been done almost too often, but can you imagine then? You know, nine, ten years into the show, ten years. I mean, that's nothing. Uh, I mean, the, the the new series is older than that. Uh, and and going but television was a very different landscape then and to and to bring back the three doctors which as we will discover is a as a path not easily trod thanks to uh, circumstance and uh, uh, well 
thanks to circumstance will do. Let's just blame circumstance. Uh, we don't want this metaphor to get overcrowded. Otherwise, the rest of it will have to uh, uh, film its scenes uh, on, on a single day and be uh, ineffectively beamed onto a monitor with loads of stuff reflected on it. Um, and Chivon and Galichon, uh, I knew would undersell herself. Uh, a legend uh, in Doctor Who fandom and indeed podcasting, a patron of these, whatever these are, so somebody to whom I'm grateful as uh, as a supporter of these efforts of mine, so somebody I'm very pleased uh, has contributed uh, her thoughts on uh, a story that has gone up and down, in my opinion, I have to say. Uh, I first saw this when it was repeated as part of the five faces of Doctor Who, um, which when it was my when it was when it was a sort of bonus because we had the third Doctor story, Carnival of Monsters, and then they showed the three Doctors as well. Uh, I didn't know that that actually then ended up costing us Mask of Mandragora, and I was so annoyed that uh, they repeated Logopolis for Tom Baker because. Um, I'd seen Legopolis not that long ago and I wanted, you know, something with mummies or gothic horror or whatever. Um, Mask of Andrago would have been interesting, but it's one of Hinchcliffe's favourites. It was it was a, a story Hinchcliffe was particularly happy with. Why am I talking about that when I could be firing up uh, the Three Doctors? Because I go on little segues and little jaunts. But uh, Siobhan is a delightful person who... Uh, has has done so much broadcasting in the fan world and does indeed do a mean William Hartnell and probably does a slightly better William Hartnell than William Hartnell does in this story, which I'm now about to fire up. I mean, typically, um, uh, just as I... I mean, I've just been heckled by my screensaver, uh, my uh, my streaming service, which had the episode all ready to go. And, and it's just, just as I was about to sort of you know press the button get get in the mode to press the button it, it faded and jumped to an advert for something called yellowstone with kevin costner as if to say even i who am a who are a screensaver an automated computerized screensaver aboard of utopia so let's throw some doctor who in the mix in an attempt to make me more interesting uh, and it's going to be season 10 episode one uh first shown uh, on the 30th of December 1972. So, yeah, strictly speaking, this is in the ninth year and definitely closer to the 23rd of November 1972 than the 23rd of November 1973, which was the 10th anniversary. Anyway, season 10 with great company, Siobhan Galichon, who I'm very interested to see uh, broadcast her thoughts on this particular uh, story. I'm, I mean, any story, but this one, a celebration is in the air. Where are we? Now? I'm recording this uh, with a week, exactly a week to go before the 59th anniversary. So this is about as what, what, whatever the who equivalent of festive, as hoostive as I get. Uh, so we're going to press play in three, two, one. So, I mean, I'm used to this one being very good quality because uh, obviously the bootlegs of it were much better because uh, somebody might have uh, 
taped them off the five faces of Doctor Who, and I remember that uh, that placeholder. But that was on my copy of the Crotons. They had a sort of mosaic of the of of the, of the five faces. But actually, no, uh, three Doctors are uh, because a lot of the Pertwee's came from ABC anyway, so they were good quality. Um, and also, I had this. There was a B Sky B weekend that my mum's friend Sheila noticed they had B Sky B and knew I was a Doctor Who fan. And so just sort of taped it over the weekend with whatever tape she had to hand. And sometimes some of this this cut out in episode two and I missed a little bit of it, but basically taped the whole weekend for me, which was extremely thoughtful of her. This is Laurie Webb. I spoke to Laurie Webb, Mr. Ollis. Uh, and I remember watching this with my brothers and them going, oh, yeah, he disappears because they've, of course, read the book. So we had the books. This is Laurie Webb, who plays a very taciturn character here. He's quite sort of monosyllabic and, and, and quite... Laurie is a wonderful, ebullient Welshman who I last spoke to in May of this year on the occasion of his 98th birthday. And I am delighted I still sing to myself because if you're getting to my age and nobody to talk to, you can lose your voice. So I still sing to myself every day and I play golf three times a week. Oh, it's so marvellous to hear from you, Toby. Uh, and I tell him that the Doctor Who fans and Katie Manning are uh, uh, always asking after him. Uh, lovely fellow. And I had the pleasure of actually watching the three Doctors with him the first time he'd ever seen it, uh, <laughs> which is delightful. Too. And here is his fictional wife, Patricia Pryor. Pat Robinson uh, talking to Dr. Tyler, Rex Robinson. Ah, there's a love triangle because Rex Robinson and Patricia Pryor, these two here, uh, were married in real life. Uh, and l as with Laurie, I hear from Pat uh, every year at Christmas because I had the pleasure of interviewing Rex and Pat at home. Uh, Pat and Laurie actually live within five minutes of each other, which is, I've never met the swans. <laughs> so the name dropping will stop. Uh, and uh, and uh, yeah and uh, and and Pat oh so there's, that's it for Laurie this episode but I think he's a great character I love Mr Ollis he's a delight I think I already know my top thing for episode four um, but this is a great Doctor Who beginning you know somebody goes missing uh, all on film which is very nice but yeah so so Pat and Laurie live five minutes away from each other but actually weren't aware of that until I visited Rex and Pat at home and interviewed them. Uh, Rex has sadly since passed away. There he is, great, uh, great servant to Doctor Who. All his stories are Lenny Main stories. He was great friends of the director Lenny Main. Uh, so he pops up as Gebek in Monster of Peladon, uh, Doctor Carter in the uh, in the Hand of Fear, um, and um, and then I interviewed Laurie sometime afterwards. And when we sort of pulled in. We realised, in fact, I'd actually got the addresses muddled up because I'd got both sets of addresses. And we stopped outside Laurie's house. My friend Peter drove me. And then I went, oh, no, that's the that's the wrong postcode. So I actually stopped outside Laurie's house before I'd even met him and then drove off. And it was like, oh, we and so, and so that, that made me determined to actually, uh, uh, um, you know, get, get in touch with Laurie and ask. Because I'd got his address, but I'd not written to him at that point. Um and yeah, the, uh, and, and they, yeah they, they weren't far away from each other uh, at all. And since... Uh, uh, Laurie and, uh, and Pat have, have met up uh, and are on the Looking for Lenny documentary that I did on the uh, on the season 10 Blu-ray on the on the disc for this um, so uh, yeah this is a story but this is a story that I loved when it was repeated for the five faces of Doctor Who and I love this setup of 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 
of the image of, uh, of, of Mr. Ollis being zapped through the black hole and all this. I loved all this sort of scientific-y stuff. And, and John Pert was well at home with this, isn't he? And his, I mean, his, his lab is basically just a, a room with a sort of Bunsen burner and a tap. Uh, <laughs> but um, and Dr. Tyler is a, is, a, is, is a great character. I like the way he shows the... I love, love the way he shows the brigadier and the brigadier goes, yeah, show it to the doctor very politely. Although I, I do understand those that um, complain about the brigadier's sort of regression from being, you know, tough, pragmatic soldier into being slightly blimpish comedy stooge. Um, I like the fact that we have both brigadiers and that, uh, that, that we can enjoy both aspects of Nicholas Courtney's wonderful characterisation, which, as time goes on, probably gets a bit closer to Nicholas Courtney. Uh, uh, but I, I love the brigadier. The brigadier is one of my favourite Doctor Who characters. He always seemed slightly more proper than a companion to me uh because because he was a, a sort of figure of authority and it was like he was he, he he was stopping doctor who being childish because he was a senior military figure um but i think pertwee looks looks fantastic in this and uh and this is sort of this is my image of sort of doctor who being seeming quite grown up especially with the five faces of doctor who when we'd had you know the crotons which had been a bit sort of cardboardy and and carnival of monsters which had been a bit sort of zing pop comic strip and and i remember being shocked uh by carnival of monsters and thinking it wasn't doctor who and i channel hopped because the 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 functionaries looked you know not not great but this i remember seeming like you know the proper doctor who in the target books that i i was too young to be able to read but you know i i we i i i scanned the 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 covers and the back covers and you know the cover of this had that brilliant striking image of omega um with the fire coming out of his fingers that's oh i've just reminded myself oh liberty hall dr tyler liberty hall that's a, a much quoted uh uh piece that um people don't like do they well i've uh, our our hallway in this house uh, has a little plaque on it that says liberty hall uh, and just in the same way that our kitchen has a little plaque that says security kitchen uh, and and our landing has a plaque that says dinsdale landing that's the kind of house i'm broadcasting from i love that image that's just such a simple image why would his face be burnt uh into the sort of lightning uh, that takes him into the black hole or whatever. It, it doesn't matter. I think it's a really striking image and it, and it sets up the mystery. And then it happens to this guy as well. And you think, well, he's too memorable a character to not come back. So that's going to lead us to the next bit of the story. And I th and, and this seemed so good, the uh, the blobby thing. Uh, and Pat, Pat's such an experienced actress. She did so many sort of adverts. She's a lovely lady, Pat. Uh, um uh, and and the, yeah, the, the the blobby thing seemed so realistic, and and then when I when I I was quite late getting this in my collection because I'd already seen it, so I saw a lot of the other Pertwee's first, and I love John Pertwee's leather gloves. I remember at school, in the playground, sort of playing Doctor, Who, it's it seemed that Doc that, that John Pertwee was such a sort of figure of authority and such a such a such a sort of correct grown-up doctor because he had sort of black leather gloves and he didn't he didn't look eccentric or dandified at all to me as larry turner says um not many people can carry off a, a, a frilly shirt it's jimmy hendrix and john pertwee but pertwee's clothes and you can see people that aren't john pertwee trying to get away with john pertwee i mean i i i know people who wear sort of velvet jackets and i've tried a couple of times and and they don't look good they look good if you're 
John Pertwee. He, there's something about the Alan that he has that 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 he's such a sort of bold personality. It, it, it doesn't sort of swamp him or make him look like he's trying too hard. He he gets away with it. He carries it well. It looks natural on him. It doesn't look like he's trying too hard. And I think in, in other hands or on other shoulders, um, Pertwee's outfits definitely look like they're trying too hard. But the, the mixture of his frame, that brilliant face, that shock of hair, it's perfect. Nice little bit of POV here from uh, from Lenny Main. Uh, and, uh, but, but I, I remember when I came to revisit this being quite embarrassed by the uh the the the, the drain boogie creature um oh but i remember it seeming really important that uh, that the thing kidnapped bessie it was like it's it's one thing to to take those two guest characters one of whom hasn't said anything but it's taken bessie again that's a sign that they're not going to have killed off bessie they're it's got to go somewhere poor old bessie um I love the fact that we have a car that we are sort of slightly affectionate about. Um, and I remember a clip of this when I was at university being on the news. Was it on the news? It was a story about science fiction or something. Or it was on a documentary and it, and it had a, the line about put a guard on the drains and saying only in TV science fiction could you put a guard on the drains. Um, but it was, but I mean, I, and I remember back in the day that any time there was a clip on anything, I'd tape it, you know, because... Uh, uh, you know, you you didn't necessarily have the best quality copies of the episodes or whatever, and I, you know, you thought you were building an archive because what if this program goes missing? Um, put a guard on the drains. I love that. It's so Doctor, and you know, Nicholas Courtney is dead serious there there as well. He does the sort of slightly buffoonish elements of the Brigadier in this, but when you know he's not phased by the Doctor saying put a guard on the drains, and that's what's brilliant about the character is that is that you know when it, uh, you know he, he at his best he grounds. The ridiculousness, because Doctor Who is a ri ridiculous show. Um, it's, it, I mean, it's stupid, um, and 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 the key to its success often is that it takes its stupidity in its stride. It either embraces it or or it refute or it sort of ignores the stupidity. You can go either way with that, and and both are legitimate, uh, uh, legitimate approaches, and and different stories approach it very differently. Um, and that's why that's one of the reasons I love it is that it has the sort of balls to say, uh, yeah, this is what we do. Uh, put we we put we've got antimatter in the drain. Put a, we've got a monster. Put a guard on the drains. This is you know we'll 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 throw some chewing gum packet at it a bit later on, you know, uh, and then do a joke about television. You know, it's, I, I love all of that. But when I was and I remember, you know, the, the, the unit soldiers shooting at the, the, the jail guards. And I remember being on the swings at school the next day and sort of saying to my mate, oh, let's do that. And, there's a, and, and, and it felt like that was real proper Doctor Who. As somebody sort of brought up, you know, or had very recently seen season 18, which was sort of all about Burgundy mathematics. Uh, uh, soldiers shooting at one-eyed jelly monsters was absolutely the sort of thing I want this was definitely classic who to me and the army again seemed to legitimize everything and make it seem a bit grown up I wanted my doctor to be grow a bit grown up that's the thing about uh, you know being a kid you want to be grown up and when you're a grown up you sort of go oh <laughs> if, I, if I knew now oh, I wish I'd savored being a kid a little bit more um, uh, and uh, uh, but then as I say I, I had a sort of 
Damascene conversion where I got a bit edgy about the antimatter creature and the we'll see a we'll see a monitor in a Omega's world later that's that's not set properly and, and you can see the edge of it and some sort of sloppiness in the production. And I think Omega's world we will we will talk about. Uh that it just seemed like this really hasn't got much of a sense of occasion considering what this story is about. And and the three doctors went way down in my list of stories that I liked. I mean, and, 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 and partially, but I mean this bit, which I remember as a kid being stunning, uh, you know, because it's quite windy, it means that every time the creature appears, you know, there's an awkward edit. And and he goes, holy Moses, what's that? And they see that, that's of course, when they, when they appear in the forest, you know, everything's moving. You're never going to get a good cut there because because the foliage is moving. But, but also, holy Moses, what's that? And the response is, <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Uh, but you you can't ignore a behind Dennis Palmer there as Corporal Palmer when he saw the monster was uh, Pat Gorman. Pat Gorman. Was, now that claw is in the is in the uh, quarry. Uh, they've got one shot of the claw uh, with its light going up it because uh, if you if you look at the ground there, it's the quarry. It's not the car park or the or the or the verdant forest where these ones are. So. Uh, I remember spotting that on about my 90th watch and you all, oh, we knew that. Uh, but this, you see, this was absolutely classic Doctor Who to me. This was the Doctor Who that my brothers watched before I was born. Uh, there it is, yeah, that's the quarry floor, same shot. Um, soldiers getting blown up uh, by, oh, is that Leslie Bates? Um, uh, uh, great, and the, there's a bazooka um, and, and the creatures going through the so that's a that's a lovely shot. I mean, you have to be careful with the gel guards. I have friends that always thought they were called gel guards, which has always baffled me because it's it's G E L and that's gel. But anyway, it's I've done a whole podcast on, uh, and, and I'm culpable of my own inexplicable mispronunciations as well. So I'm throwing no pronunciation stones at anyone. Um, I, 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 you have to be careful with the gel guards because. When when they shuffle or go, they are amongst the silliest Doctor Who things of all time. But actually, and on the I like it on the book cover because there's a shot of Benton and and Troughton, uh, sort of being escorted by them, and 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 and, and it's in the quarry, so there's there's the, the sort of route is has has got a few stones painted, but it sort of looks like that could be bits of gel guard that are kind of fallen off. Uh, and the picture's not... It's an illustration where, you know, I got that impression. I love Benton coming through the window. That's the sort of thing Benton does uh, brilliantly. Um, I, I love Sergeant Benton. And I think this is a particularly good story. And a moment of history, Sergeant Benton entering the TARDIS and giving the best response. Uh, <laughs> John Levine is doing brilliant work here as the kind of it's the slightly pained lack of comprehension and the fact that he sort of takes his hat off in sort of resignation to it and I love his response aren't you going to say you know it's pretty obvious isn't it and this is all because Fraser Hines um, was unavailable to do this with Troughton so they needed a, a foil for Troughton and I think Richard Franklin was doing something else but either way um Yates and Troughton's Doctor is not as delicious a prospect as Benton and Troughton's Doctor. Uh, and so that's... But we get that great series of Benton coming through the window, going in the TARDIS for the first time. Isn't it delightful to think that it's taken till season 10? So he's he's had three seasons, uh, you know, as a regular or semi-regular, uh, and not been inside the TARDIS. And, and, and here he is. And, and, and it doesn't make much of a 
thing because it's it's part of the story uh, but it is a, it, its own kind of milestone um but yes I, I i had a bit of a downer on the three doctors for quite a long time uh i don't think gallifrey helps it's a it's a funny old setup that we have here even though all of these actors have a an illustrious doctor who pedigree um it 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 is quite a hammy planet. Uh, no, now Graham Lehman at the desk, excellent actor, unusually bearded. Um, he's already been a Time Lord in Colony in Space. He was Price in Fury from the Deep. He was the Grand Marshal in the Seeds of uh, Death, and he's the Controller in the Macro Terror. So he's doing pretty well on Who's Round. He's only uh, Who's Round Freudian podcastian slip. He's only got. Uh, colony and space still to go on happy times and places so i will not point out that he's sitting down and that he's an actor um who before uh you know d disabled actors were were featured uh prominently on television uh he was sort of snuck in there and quite often given parts involving not standing up and here he is again uh now roy purcell has been in uh has has been in um the mind of evil uh, as prison officer powers uh he's and he did quite a few voiceovers and things and i discovered recently because somebody gave me a load of theater programs uh that their that his dad had collected uh and i was going through and i found a program and i put two and two together that lenny main was very loyal to his actors roy purcell this guy here um uh uh, 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 there's an actor called David Purcell who is the guy that some people think looks a bit like Steve Coogan at the beginning of Hand of Fear who blows up the quarry uh, and I found I think I I, th I think in one of these programs there is a there is a now for years that was supposed to be a clip from the Macra Terror of Patrick Trout there and it turns out no it's just a bit shot on the quarry um, but oh we could have had a moment from the Macra Terror uh, and that that actually made me once say to a fan uh, an older fan that I met. Um, oh, because you know, there's that clip of the Macro Terror and the Three Doctors. If we could get clips and, and and sort of photographs and marry them with the soundtracks, you could you could sort of recreate the stories. And he spoke to me like I was a fool. Uh, well, who's the fool now that you get them on? Actually, people pay for them on official releases. Here's Trout, and you could see his reflection in the the TARDIS. It was little sort of production glitches like that that made me think it's a slightly it's a slightly tatty story, seeing as it's a, seeing as it's an anniversary special, although it's not really. Uh, anyway, let me go back to Roy Purcell before I forget. Roy Purcell's theatre biog in this uh, one of these many programmes that I have that I've got to go through said, uh, and his son David has recently entered the acting profession. Blah de blah de blah. Following his footsteps, and he's like, oh, David Purcell, who's directed by Lenny Main in The Hand of Fear is the son of Roy Purcell, who's directed by Lenny Main in The Three Doctors. And that was not a piece of biographical information we actually had anywhere in Hoodham, or certainly not in the uh, Doctor Who guest actor circles I hang around in. So that was quite an exciting thing to discover. Um, those, 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 those sorts of things could make my day. Um, tr 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 oh, Troughton is so delightful. I love the way he talks to Joe. Uh, he's it's a slight it's not quite the same performance um i i, th I think he's slightly more schoolboy-esque i think he's slightly ott in places troughton and troughton is my probably my favorite doctor 
he has, he's, I mean, he's in the boxing room with Tom Baker, and and occasionally one will land a blow on the other. I th- I think I think Troughton is more consistent. You know, Tom Baker does go wayward in his in his middle years and gets away with murder, or doesn't. Um, whereas I think Troughton is 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 pretty much on the button all of the time. He's a consummate character actor, and I love this characterization. I love his ability to to to, to balance um, comedy and and the deadly serious. And I just love this sort of scampering uh, schoolboy. Uh, uh, persona that he sort of uses to deflect danger or or for, cause his enemies you know in a columbo-esque style cause his enemies to un, underestimate him um uh and i i actually love all of this bit you know bits of the wall go missing i love the fact that the, that, that the unit door turns up uh, you know in in the wonderland and all of that i i also love a sonic uh, a, a, a submachine gun um it, it just makes it feel kind of all that sort of stuff, because it's the iconography of the of the sort of war films that were that were prevalent very much at this time. You know, every other film was a war film, or every other classic war film that was on telly was a war film, and they were things that, you know, were from my you know granddad's time, or that the, the grown ups watched, and there were quite a lot of books about the war. So anything that had sort of soldierly um, stuff felt as though again it kind of. It popped the fantastical elements a little bit and made them seem a little bit more grown up and acceptable to grown ups. You know, the children's own program that adults adore. Um, and of course, this is this is the first time we see Troughton's Doctor in colour. Um, and I mean, he, and he wrangles the recorder a lot more in this than uh, than he does for quite a lot of his era. Um, And I, yeah, so I, I don't know if, they, if I ever got to the bottom of saying, you know, having, having said I, ah, uh, yes, I was saying I, it's a, it's a very odd set, this Time Lord set. Um, but that's, that's, now that's quite a, a famous shot of the two of them sort of arguing with each other. Um, and there's William Hartnell in his garden. Um, and I think, and I think this is, this is, I mean, this is one of the extraordinary things because Hartland had to leave because he was ill and he hadn't acted that much at all after Doctor Who and certainly wasn't acting at this point. And of course, we all know the story of him being being approached and they got him on the phone on a good day. And uh, But but this, the fact that, that we have him on this monitor with, I love Troughton's smile, which is sort of slightly, you know, it's like he's sort of humouring him, but but rather delighted by him. And I love the way that Troughton's smile vanishes immediately. He's so good at that sort of sort of gag. Um, and there are actually, I mean, there's no planning to this, but Troughton and Pertwee are an excellent contrast. And I do like the fact that they, they bickered. And I like the fact that the actors weren't quite simpatico and Troughton, because proper pro showed a bit of deference, even though he's a much more experienced actor than uh, than Pertwee, and and so that they became great mates. Because I think Pertwee, you know, needed a bit of managing. Uh, 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 but but the fact that they became, you know, that that, that but Pertwee got over his because he will it will be from insecurity. He was probably, you know, the fact the fact that Troughton would ad lib and dance around the script a little bit made Pertwee, who was not an experienced drama actor sort of like no no I, I do it from the script and 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 and, and Troughton uh, 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 oh I remember this I remember this episode ending 
watching it as part of the five faces of Doctor Who. Uh, so exciting. So exciting. And it's a great episode ending. And um, But yeah, so, so Troughton and Pert, we're becoming this brilliant um, double act at conventions and stuff. And they are great, great you know, a, a great foils for each other. But but the fact that we have Hartnell on that terrible monitor, which is just a crap telly, um, which has stuff reflected in it, uh, and, uh, and we never cut to that film that we have Hartnell in his last television performance, um, just, just on that screen, and we never get a proper close-up. Um, and things like that, and Troughton reflected in the Troughton reflected in the, um, you know, in the TARDIS when he arrives, and very and, and the Time Lord set, and the, the fact that the Time Lord's a bit, um, the, 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 yeah, the, there's there's some there's some, I think some performance issues on Gallifrey, and they haven't got the uh, the round paper out yet, <laughs> which were all things that. So I went through a period of really disliking this story because it had sort of production elements that I don't think matched the the ambition of, well, one, the script. We're about to go to a dream world that looks like it was made, um, I mean, spangles melted over Ikea uh, uh, or, or, you know, a quarry. Um, but also the, I, I thought there were certain sort of slightly lazy bits of, of, of production um, amongst it all. Uh, which seeing seeing what the ambition of the script is, which is to take us back to the dawn of the Time Lords and to take us to a world conjured of the imagination, uh, I, I you know it, it set my teeth on edge for, for for a long while this story, and then when I did it th- for running through corridors, I was still not. I think I wanted to I wanted to sort of dig at it a little bit and say this story that everyone loves, everyone just loves it because it's an anniversary story, and actually the story itself is not that that good because. I don't know what that drive is to do that sort of say, you know how you all think this? Well, I'm actually right that it's not as much, you know, it's not as good as you think. And I've, I, you know, I, I, that seems a really odd drive. That seems a really strange ambition to have. And, and I've come out of the other side of that now. And actually, I mean, partially, I think, because I, I, I ended up, you know, visiting almost the entire cast at home, Rex and Pat, uh, Laurie, uh, and keeping in touch with them for some reason. Uh, at Stephen Thorne as well, who plays Omega. Um, I know John uh, Levine and, and Katie, and and so it's it's quite special to me that this thing I I played in the playground that seemed like this, you know, this this real sort of classic example of what grown up Doctor Who that my brothers watch should be, and that I now have a bit of a personal connection with it. But I've actually learned to love the Pertwee era a lot more for what it is rather than what it isn't. Well, I've said this before, you know, it, it, it isn't what I'd imagine from the Target books, but that doesn't mean it's not great. Uh, and the last few times I've watched The Three Doctors, I have fallen under its spell again. And this one is no exception. It's There's so much to love in this. I mean, the idea of bringing The Three Doctors together, fabulous. Um, and this is the first time they've done it. And it seems amazing that Hartnell... Uh, who, you know, so poorly and out of the profession and not long before his death, um, suddenly uh, is, 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 doing the, you know, is doing the unthinkable. William Hartnell returned to Doctor Who. Uh, 
So even if he's a shadow of his former self, and I love those pictures of them together. If only, if only somebody had talked to them there. Uh, you know, I wonder what he was like that day at that uh, at that photo shoot with the with the three of them. And he looks very different, doesn't he? His face has sort of got slightly puffier. His 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 uh, his, his profile is not the same. His his uh, his silhouette, the face, the silhouette of his face is is not is not the same. Time, the time winds will ravage us all. Um, so I think that's all rather charming. That it's the first time Doctor Who really sort of looks back and goes, "This is, this is part of some some greater story." Now Doctor Who can do that too much, but I actually find it rather touching that it does it at this point in its history because it doesn't do it that much in those early days, and it is a it is a thing of diminishing returns. Uh, and yet this is, you know, but this is the original and this is the... That said, you know, how delight I'm recording this not long after The Power of the Doctor and I still got that thrill, even though it wasn't... It was, you know, it was the third first Doctor we've got used to, really, after Hartnell and Herndl, you know, David Bradley. And it was still like a connection with the past and the fact that he's such an amazing actor um, playing a sort of stand-in version of the first Doctor, that he's now an official version of the first Doctor, is is really sort of weird and extraordinary. And, you know, how great it was seeing Paul McGann and, 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 uh, uh, and, and all of the classic Doctors too. Um, uh, you know, I, I still get that thrill, but um, I, I, it's, it's always coupled with that idea of going, but what does this mean to the viewing public? And that is also actually a little bit more self-loathing than necessary because who cares but what you know the, the the public will take it the public will take what they're shown and if it's too alienating they won't watch but i i i didn't get that impression about the the power of the doctor um uh well partially because all of that was kept as a surprise uh and it's made clear that it's you know that they are whatever they are and they're and they're, you know and and they're throwing out plot information so you know forget about what other people think enjoy it for what it is don't go but uh, but i need a spoonful of self-loathing to help that sugar go down because otherwise it just tastes too good um but i, I love put with leather gloves i love the velvet jacket and leather glove combo that just seems to me you know that that's that seemed to be such a grown-up doctor uh and, and then the contrast with Troughton's sort of childishness so what is my favourite thing about episode one? Well, it has to be the wheeze. It has to be the the starting point of the story, which is Doctor Who is 10 years old. Let's get the other two guys back. And these, you know, these these three Doctors, I mean, are, are, are all superb. And they're all heroes of the show. And it's, you know, the show is still relatively young. And it survived every change of leading man, and every leading man has brought something different and 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 built something new into the mythology. And it's amazing what a you know how many changes the show goes through in these first ten years, and yet still manages to be the same show. And uh, you know the idea that you know stuck on twentieth century Earth helping the military is miles away from. Uh, you know the weird Hartnell space adventures or thoughtful historicals you know and yet it's all lovelily links together so it has to be um I mean there's other great things as well isn't there there's uh um I mean I just love Mr Ollis I love Mr Ollis I love uh I love his face in the in, in you know the black hole thing I love I I, I do love certain shots of the 
you know, the gel guards going through the smoke. I love Sergeant Benton coming through the window. I love him taking his hat off in the TARDIS and saying it's pretty obvious, isn't it? I love that. But for me, the best thing about episode one has to be the fact that for the first time ever, we see multi-doctors sharing the screen. Those illustrious actors were prepared to come back and play second fiddle to the new leading man. Uh, uh, and, and yet there doesn't seem like a hierarchy or a pecking order. It's just all part of one great thing. Uh, and, it, and, and that seems really important, even if the production doesn't quite give itself the grandeur that perhaps such an occasion demands. But maybe that's Doctor Who. Maybe that's... That's the thing that's, you know, where three aliens invade the south of England. It's kind of like we don't make a big show of it. Uh, the, there's, there's not an oncoming storm. There's a bit of drizzle uh, that we're going we're gonna to have to do our best to avoid. <laughs> uh, but it's, yeah, The Three Doctors, episode one. Best thing about it, it was The Three Doctors. I would be a fool to pick anything else. I suspect Siobhan has been slightly more imaginative than that. Part one. Mm, there's a lot to this, isn't there? Uh, that was one of the things I thought about when I tried to decide which story to do. Um, I actually got... <laughs> this is my second go at this. Uh, I originally did that this back in lockdown before the show had actually appeared and I got the format wrong. So this is... I, I'm doing this on the day Liz Trust resigned. <laughs> so there we go. Okay. <clears throat> so I'm redoing this. Uh, one of the things I was going to say was, uh, was the, the lining of the cloak, of Pertwee's cloak. Uh, it's a beautiful royal blue colour, and it's the only time we see it, which is a shame. But I can't choose that. No, I can't. Then there's that scene. We all know the one. All three of them in the TARDIS, ending with me, me. Um, I, I was very lucky to redo that, as if Bill was in studio that day with John Culshaw and Christopher Thompson. And that was a, that was a tick off the bucket list, I can tell you. Um, my actual choice, though, and it's an odd one, but I'm putting it out here. It's the set for the TARDIS control room. I adore adore this TARDIS set. I adore it. It's I. We hardly see it. I mean, we see it here, we see it in um, Planet of the Daleks, and Frontier in Space, but it, by then MFI have moved in. <laughs> um, we see it a little bit in Death to the Daleks. Um, I, I love this control room. I, I think, again, it's because I was a child when I first saw it. To me, that's home. Uh, so there we go. Sorry, Toby, but it's the TARDIS control room set. Oh, don't apologise. And to me, that's home. I find so so moving. I find that such a wonderful summation of why we like the things that we like. I don't think I'd have even thought of choosing the TARDIS control room, but it makes absolute sense that uh, you know if you were watching at a certain time, or if or if you came to a story with a certain set of emotions as you were coming to it. These things speak to us all in different ways because it largely because Doctor Who gets you when you're a kid and that makes the dynamic that we have with particular stories, uh, you know, so influenced by our particular situations and some things that seem daft 
to others or or even irrelevant not notice i mean it was there i clocked it i like it but of course i can tell but just in the same way that pertwee's glove and jacket combo somehow speaks somehow to me i just like the visual of it and it and it seemed and i and i remember thinking about it when i was a kid in the playground and it somehow seeming making it seem sort of proper and real in a way that i can't really put into words but you, you know so that's the even you know choice number 1 of shivon the, the lining of the cloak is is no dafter than that and yet makes absolute sense to me as well i wouldn't have minded shivon if you'd chosen <laughs> the uh, the lining of the cloak because i nearly chose the fact that he's got leather gloves and a velvet jacket with a, a with a frilly cuff between dividing the two um uh, and i i think the tardis control room is a lovely choice and to me it feels like home i think is a lovely sentiment and I feel a lot of that with this story. I think partially because, well, it, it's got it's it it, it, it it occupies a very um, sort a, 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 a very sort of stimulating place in my Doctor Who history, in that it was an old story, but an old story that I saw as a child, whereas most of the old stories I saw when I was a bit old, I, you know, I saw this at at what seven yeah yeah seven i was seven when i saw this so it was an early look at old doctor who when you know repeats were something to be treated with awe i mean i remember the picture of william hartland in the paper heralding the five faces of doctor who and it just that just seemed like such an amazing thing to be doing and it was and it was bbc too giving a a big chunk of its uh, repeat allocation to, to Doctor Who, and 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 it was treated so respectfully. You know, there was a real feeling of uh, you know this is a this is a this is a treat into in, into history, uh, and and history is something that you know a, a history of something that we all remember very fondly. It was none of this. Oh, this is this is old stuff that's a bit rubbish, which which became the norm later on. Now there may have well have been some of that in the papers that that I didn't see, but certainly what what one felt was that this is you know this is. This is the golden age and we, we bow before it. And aren't we lucky that this rare thing of a repeat, because not much was repeated in those days. Um, or, you know, the, uh, oh, I wish they'd repeat that. It was often a refrain about things people fondly remembered, but the chances that they would were very, very slim. Um, you, you often had to wait for an actor to die to get a repeat of an episode of something. And, and when Troughton died, that didn't even happen with Doctor Who. I remember being furious. Um, and... Uh, and so, yeah, it exists in a in a fairly bespoke sort of section of my Doctor Who consumption. It's an old story that was new when I was young. And then when I got a bit older, it was one I'd already seen and I went back to it and it took me a couple of goes to, to sort of think what I thought was wrong with it. And I, I, I ended up not, not liking it an awful lot and rejecting that childhood um because it was certainly my i think my most enjoyable story for me of the of of the whole of the five faces of doctor who perhaps by the first episode which was just amazing to see um but i you know i certainly remember the, you know there were no caveats with my enjoyment of 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 the three doctors um and so then i had to reject that 
naive childhood view, uh, whereas the sophisticated teenager of me saw through its many flaws that needed to be pointed out to everybody and to, to, to spoil the enjoyment of those who were foolish enough to think it was any good. And then I gradually, as I got older, you know, I, I didn't watch it much. It wasn't one I, w- I went to particularly. Uh, and when I did, I sort of, you know, shivered at the bits that didn't, the footsteps going the other side of the Eye of Singularity in episode four, all those funny sort of production, you know, shortcomings, um, you know, frayed around the edges, which just seemed wrong and embarrassing. And certainly a thing I wouldn't want to show to other people, because again, you've always got in your mind what other people might think. To get to that point of, you know, equilibrium with it and go, no, what, what, what is it? What does it want to be? Uh, and, and and what were the bits that I loved? What were the bits that I loved as a kid? Uh, what are the, uh, and they, they now to me outweigh the bits that as an adult I might be slightly squeamish about. And in fact, the radiation monster, which I used to think was awful, um, I think is fine. It's absolutely fine. It works well. And, I, and it earns us the line, put a guard on the drains, which is delightful. That's a very Doctor who thing, a card on the drains. Uh, so, yeah, I've, 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 I've uh, learnt to stop worrying and love the three Doctors. Um, uh, and, and I hope to continue to do so uh, in the next three episodes of that with a, a fantastic guest uh, who will uh, be choosing, I'm sure, a number of very interesting things. And let's hope that I can choose at least one of I mean, the other thing is, is I kind of have in my mind's eye what I might choose, certainly for episodes two and four. So because uh, I've thought about this one, maybe because I was worried that it's a story that I have been down on in the past. But that's not going to be an issue. I thought that was great. I thought the whole setup was great. I, I thought Unit being, you know, attacked by jelly monsters was great. The Trout and Pertwee dynamic is great. Seeing Hartnell is great, even though it's, uh, you know, slightly undermined by the ex- execution and the, and the limitations that they were put under because they realised that one of their key actors was actually not going to be, you know, up to much, which is very sad, actually. Uh, you know, there's there's a there's a there's a real sadness at the heart of you know that particular element of the story that is found wanting is that you know uh one of our heroes was not long for this world and 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 actually you know v- very poorly in it uh uh and you know yeah he was the he was the doctor who was no longer with us when i was a young fan uh was only you know he was the old man that had died um but of course now all three of them have gone but they live forever and together, thanks to the three doctors, which was, of course, who they were, are, forever will be. Well, thank you very much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest, Siobhan Galichon, who can be found on Twitter at Sio Galichon, so the first three letters of Siobhan, S-I-O Galichon, uh, on Twitter. And I'm grateful to Siobhan and, of course, to the patrons who make this podcast possible. And they include Siobhan Galichon, so that's a double thanks. Uh, and David Trainier, Frank Shales, Risto Matisarillo, 
Gary Platt, Adam Parker, Graham Knott, Kevin Murdoch, Rick Moran, The Missing Episodes Doctor Who Podcast, Nathan Martin, Gavin McLean, Ian K. McLachlan, Joe Llewellyn, Ian Key, Chris Hyam, Nick Tedston, Neil Tate, Richard Straw, Christopher Meredith, Rob Leonard, Ronald Hayden, and Stephen Moffat. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork by Dylan Patterson. And if you would like to join that list of names, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. And there, for as little as £3 a month, you can get this this sort of podcast, The Happy Times and Places, when at least they might be timely. It's not a current affairs podcast, this. There are plenty of brilliant ones out there discussing the latest news in the worlds of Doctor Who. I, I sort of try and bed these in so that they're just sort of ready to, to go out and hopefully be a bit timeless. And then, of course, I stupidly refer to events that are happening at the time and so immediately date them before they're even intended for your ears. However, if you are a patron, you get them pretty much uh, almost live sometimes because I'm quite close to the wire, uh, not the one off the Idiot's Lantern, or indeed the American one that has often quite impenetrable dialogue and way too many characters, but is somehow brilliant television. You can be all of those things. Um, anyway, <laughs> yes, uh, patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. For as little as £3 a month, you get these podcasts about six months earlier than you're listening to it now if you're not a patron you also get the indefinable magic and too much information podcasts at least six weeks early uh, and you get far too much information which is a podcast just for you there's also bonus material stuff from my archives monthly amas and pictures of my dog and you can get 10 percent off your pledge if you sign up for a year all in one go Now, of course, uh, it may be that you don't want to do a monthly subscription, which is what Patreon is. You can go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock and just make a one-off donation if you think I deserve it. All of that stuff goes to keep these ad-free and to enable me to, you know, um, give time to do these properly. And, uh, you know, I, I, I pay the composers of the music and uh, I make sure that the equipment means that these are of broadcast quality and blah de blah de blah de blah I, You know, I don't just, uh, I was going to say, I don't just toss these off. <laughs> that's, uh, that's not the phraseology I'm comfortable using. I don't just wang these out. That's much, that's much better phraseology. Um, uh, I, but I don't want to have adverts in. I'm listening to a podcast at the moment and there's all that sort of stuff of going, have you ever noticed how your mattress is uh, is a bit uncomfortable? Here's a way I'm going to tie it in rather unsatisfactorily to the podcast that you're currently listening to. So I sort of go, when I last watched The Three Doctors, I did it on my old mattress and it was very uncomfortable. It was blobby like a gel guard or so uncomfortable it could have been made of antimatter. Uh, and just by a massive coincidence, this firm that have sponsored this podcast provide a mattress that is better than all of the others that I can personally vouch for, even though that's extremely unlikely, seeing as I've asked them to advertise on my thing. So I'm going to have to say I like the product anyway, aren't I? So I don't do any of that. And I, I, actually, I feel like having done that, I'm missing out. Um uh, but yeah, kofi.com forward slash Toby Haydock. But what, if you can't do that, I understand times are tough, but you could go to iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, everywhere where you can rate and review these podcasts and give them five stars and some nice lines of review. 
See now, part of me that the, the other the podcast I've been listening to, which is excellent, by the way, um, he always does the same sort of outro, you know, with this stuff about you know, please do the things that podcasts ask you to do, and it's presented by me, and that's who's talking now, and bloody bloody blah, and, and it's always the same exit with you know with different names in the acknowledgements or the you know special guests or whatever, um, but but other other the surrounding patter is always the same, and that's because when you're doing a a product you want an identifiable product so you want so there's a reason that we have opening and closing titles and that certain things in programs are always the same to reassure you that it's the same program that you know and hopefully love whereas where and i that kind of appeals to me to make sure everything is exact and i could have just recorded you know the the same intro to every episode and sometimes the words are exactly the same but i don't have them written down now so, so so there are differences in every one so it's a bit like season seven you know i've got, I've got a slightly different intro, intro to each one but i could just record a, a straight intro and just import that file every time so that it's identical uh so that you know that this is this is on brand for happy times and places but i also hate the word on brand and i hate this being a product and so uh i there's part of me that wants the uniformity of going, yes, it should all be exactly the same. And this outro, you know, I could just record a thing saying the Patreon is here, the Kofi is here, these are the Twitter handles. I didn't do that this time round. Uh, and and please rate and review. But instead of, you know, again, just importing identical files to go, yeah, this is, you know, like the recording, copying and loan of this is strictly prohibited. You know, it's always the same every time. This is always different, which is extra effort which is, I mean, never leads to, you know, mess up. It's, it's not like every time I do it it, 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 you know, freshly minted, you somehow get to get to experience the outro in a different way and see hidden depths in what you'd otherwise taken for granted. Just means it's slightly messier <laughs> and, you know, inconsistent and uh, not on brand. Um, but um, part of me quite likes the fact I mean, I also I'm also aware that this is the end of the show, and I know there are some people curse you for telling me that they listen uh, right to the end, and so this is why you get this extra bit of waffle that I think originally may have been a couple of lines and is now like a sort of inadequate monologue about nothing in particular that kind of peters out a bit like this.